All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to Micah chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. And just to keep you aware of this as well, Micah is a little reflection of where we are right now. I said a couple of weeks ago, I, I believe I'm a preacher of hope. I think that people want a message of hope. They want good news. We want to do it in a way that's biblical. Micah has been giving us the hard news. I'm not even sure it's bad news. I think it's difficult news, but he's been giving us very difficult news for a season. And when we, when we have hard news coming, we're ready. We're hungrier for hope. We're hungrier for good news when it's been a long, dark night. Amen? Man, the, the light all of a sudden feels uh, like something really, really powerful, um, where before we may have t- taken it for granted. Um, we are now in Delta variant season, and all of a sudden masks are coming back. And I think there's like a little bit of PTSD going on with people. Like, are we going to have the same fights with our family again over this? Are we going to start dividing over these things again? I thought we were done with this. More bad news is sort of churning up. Here's news for you. Bad news never really goes away. It just doesn't. Um, Remember the killer wasps or killer bees that happened in early 20? Like we've long forgotten about that, but they'll be back in some way, shape, or form. There's always bad news churning somewhere. I have some really, really good news this morning. I'm thrilled to be in Micah chapter 4 because there's, there's, there's rays of hope, there's rays of light. Um, and it's a giant change from last week. Last week, chapter 3 ended with this message that Jerusalem... Micah 3.12, Jerusalem is going to be plowed like a field. If God tells you your city is going to be plowed like a field, don't think that's an easy thing. That's difficult news. That's a punishment. That's a discipline. And here in chapter 4, here's what the prophet Micah is doing. He is looking beyond the difficulty to the restoration. Okay, so that's the big idea I want in your mind. God is making all things new. He's in the process of that right now. And what Mike is doing in chapter 4 is he's looking beyond judgment to the restoration. Remember that God is bringing, this is what he has been doing for a few chapters. He is bringing God's lawsuit against the people. Which people? His very own chosen people. The ones who have violated the covenant. Now this took incredible courage, it took incredible power, and it took incredible insight. If you look at the life of Micah, you go, he's a nobody from nowhere. How does this guy know anything to go into the seat of power and talk about all this? Well, he tells us. If you're in Micah 4, look over one chapter to Micah chapter 3, verse 8. This is one of the great passages. I was bummed not to get to preach last week. Thank you, Angel. You did an amazing job. I'm going to keep this just in, in English for us. No Spanish. We'll leave that for Angel and Andres. But Micah 3, 8, Micah is saying where this insight, where this courage, where this power to give this message came from. He says, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear me, Christian, we're all witnesses of Jesus Christ. It will take courage, power, and insight that far exceed what you possess in the flesh. In fact, here's the reality. The flesh is no help in being a witness for Jesus Christ. It's a work of the Spirit, isn't it? You ever find yourself in a situation, you go, where did that come from? I'm not naturally that courage uh, person, that courageous of a person. I'm not normally that insightful. Man, I'm the type that wants to avoid that. Where did that come from? It came from God. 
Listen to that. Micah is just demonstrating what Christians do. So Micah chapter 4 is where we're going to be, okay? Um, No one avoids pain. No one. None of us get off the hook with this. Pain is a part of life. I know there's no hearty amens to this, but you know this is true. I think for those going through pain, I have some really good news. It's going to end one day. For those of you who are in the comfort season, it's, it's, it's going to end one day. That's some difficult news that's kind of coming your way. Here's what's just as universal as pain is this, our desire to avoid pain. Our desire to avoid pain is as universal as the reality of pain and suffering in our life. Anyone ever hear of the, the, the problem of pain? The problem of pain is, is this idea um, presented to Christians regularly, which is this. If God is good and all-powerful, why is there pain and suffering in the world? The problem of pain. Have you heard of that? I hope so, because I, I hope that you have discussed this with other people, and I hope you've wrestled with it in your own heart, because if our faith never gets beyond skin deep, we don't wrestle with this stuff. Some of you are pain avoiders. That's more me. I have to ask God for the grace. God, help me to sit with my pain and face it. Some of you are pain wallowers. You just wallow in that stuff nonstop. I've got the very last CG question this week is for, is for both of you kind of both sides of that spectrum. If God is all-powerful, how would he allow pain and suffering? He must not be good, or he must not be all-powerful. People would look at Christians and say, pain is proof that God is not who the Bible says that he is. This is not a sermon on pain. That's a very worthwhile topic. The Bible talks a ton about it. But let me just state, state a couple of obvious things. Is the problem of pain for Christians alone to wrestle with and answer? No. Any religion, any worldview, secular or sacred, must wrestle with the problem of pain. Why is there pain in the world? There's a great line in a Switchfoot song that says this, the shadow proves the sunshine. The very fact that we know pain and suffering and call it out as wrong is actually proof that we have some embedded standard of good and justice and what should be the shadow, the pain, the suffering proves the sunshine. Man, that's a really rich lyric. You know, any parent here can answer this simple challenge. Parents, let me ask you this for a second. Would a loving parent allow bad things to happen to their child when it is within their power to stop it? Would a loving parent who could stop pain stop all pain? No, they wouldn't. Why? Because they love that child. Are consequences painful? Yes or no? Yes. Not a trick question. Consequences are painful. I let my little kiddos suffer very, very mild consequences to some of their decisions because I am praying, God, would you embed this in them that there's a way that life works? Would you help them to learn from this pain so that the much greater pain coming in the teen years and beyond would be learned and honed right here? I could stop this consequence. I choose not to. 
out of love. If I, an imperfect parent, know how to do this, how much more God? If I, a not all-powerful parent who cannot prevent hard things from happening to my kids, um, know how to do this, how much more God? Let me give you a very quick, simple thing on Christian's answer to pain, okay? Jot these three downs if you're taking notes. Number one, pain is real and it's universal. There's some worldviews who teach you to ignore it, deny it, or minimize it. There's a whole entertainment culture. There's a whole drug culture, and I would put a broad topic on what drugs are, trying to distract you, minimize your pain. Don't deal with it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may die. So Christianity says that pain is real. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's real. It's also universal. Here's number two. Not all pain is gain. Don't believe that. Pain is gain, but not all pain is gain. So what should you do with your pain? You should not assume God must be upset with me because no God who's good and all-powerful would want me in pain. Nonsense. Parents, is it hard to let your kids go through the suffering of a, of a discipline? Absolutely. It's painful for the parent. But it's loving. So when there's pain, evaluate it. God disciplines those he loves. He does not want you comfortable and happy all the time. And if you ever fall off that perch, somehow he must be mad at you. Number three, pain is temporary. The Bible teaches quite clearly that pain is temporary. God promises, we're going to see this in Micah 4, God promises that all pain, the totality of your suffering, will be in the past one day. Is that good news? Man, that's great news. That's what I'm looking for. I'm banking my life on this. That is such good news. All pain will be in the past one day. We see from the passage this morning... Three things. These are your three fill-ins if you want them in advance. That God restores from our pain, God restores through our pain, and God restores in our pain. I will walk you through that if you forgot those three words. I'll get back to it. Don't, don't sweat it. And let me just give credit to a commentary called Micah for You. Any of the Bible name book for you series is excellent. Stephen Um is the guy who wrote this. I snagged the outline from him because it was just too good. I'm like, that's, that's it. So I just want to give him credit. Great little outline. Note that I said our pain because pain is universal. Pain is universal. And so when I say that God restores us through our pain, that's a true statement. But there's so many different variables to that. Because not only is pain universal, pain is personal. I was going to do this because this is where my, you know, youth pastor brain kicks in. I was going to just have each of you pinch your neighbor. Don't do it. Now we get sued for this kind of thing. But I would normally say, go pinch your neighbor, right? Now, if you all just pinched your neighbor, you would all have experienced some level of pain, correct? That would be the universal nature of it. Wouldn't you agree, though, that you would all experience the pinch a little bit differently? You would. Some of you have really mean neighbors, Some of you have timid, nice neighbors, right? Some of you have neighbors with long fingernails. Some of you have neighbors that are having a bad week, and they're like, sweet, bam! I usually had to wait till St. Patrick's Day. I got to pinch someone in church. Some of you have neighbors that need the mercy of Jesus in their life. 
So we would all say, did we all get pinched? Yep, we all got pinched. But if we talked about it afterwards, if we, if we thought it through, we'd say, man, you got off easy. Mine was way worse. Many have gone through a broken family. It's all very different. Many have gone through the pain of, of being backstabbed. It's all very different. Many have health issues. It's all very different. Pain is universal, but pain is also personal. God does not offer a one-size-fit-all restoration process. It's part of the mystery and wonder of it. It's part of the amazing thing that God can know each of his children and the process that they're on. And Jesus, just the way he heals, demonstrates that. I think it's part of why he didn't heal in the same way. There was no thing of like, oh, do that spit thing again. Rub that on. Let's, let's make it work. He just did it in all these personal, various kinds of ways. So all of us can identify with one another in our pain, but no one bears your pain like you. It's true for your neighbor too. It's true for every person you're going to lay eyes on this week. All right, so number one, God restores from our pain. Here's what I did. I basically put a little snippet in your outline of the verses where I'm kind of getting that point so you can kind of follow along. God restores from our pain. There's coming a day when pain will be in the past. Know this, that prophets spoke about future events and they also commented on current events. Micah has been commenting on current events. He's been calling out Israel and Judah's sin, saying, this is what's happening right now. He also predicts future events, and that's what he's doing here. We see this in verse 1, in latter days, or end days, some of your translations say. The easiest way to understand that is this, in some future time. In some future time, this is going to take place, okay? So that's where he's going. Now listen for the good news and the deliverance that is sure to come from current pain and suffering. Remember, he's been announcing destruction, coming destruction for three chapters. Our appetite has been whetted for some good news. Micah chapter four, verse one, look at it with me. It shall come to pass in latter days, this is future events, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Micah is describing a time of spiritual renewal and purity. And what an absolute contrast from the last couple of chapters. Remember the crooked politicians? Remember the crooked priests? Remember the crooked culture that let that all happen? What a contrast. This is what's coming, he says. Next, he envisions in verse 3, a time when truth and justice will reign Instead of the current reality, what's the current reality? Those with power oppressing those without power. Look around you. Is there unrest? Is there inequality? Yes. Rampant. There is coming a time when what is good and just is going to reign. Okay, listen for it in verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples. 
and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And then he goes on to describe a time when peace and security are going to reign. Listen to this. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. Hamilton fans, yes, that's where that line came from. And yes, George Washington really wrote that in his journal. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. God's own mouth promises restoration from pain. Hear me clearly. You can take it to the bank. God is going to restore you from pain. Man, don't we love this message? We love this message. That there's coming a day when there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more fighting. That peace and security are all that's going to be happening. God is making all things new. Think about when this was read in Micah. There's coming a day when God would say, it is finished. It's Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross begins to initiate this promise, this fulfillment. There's coming another day, church, when he's going to say it is finished again. And that complete restoration process is coming. We're living in between those two it is finished statements. Jesus on the cross and one day when God's going to nail it uh, completely down. So Jesus would come on the world 700 years after Micah writes this. You know what's amazing? Next chapter... In Micah 5, you're going to hear that this eternal king, this promised Messiah, is going to come from Bethlehem. In fact, you're going to hear a a line quoted next week in Micah 5 that you hear all the time at Christmas time. It's one of the very clear prophecies of where Jesus was born. Really powerful stuff. So Jesus inaugurates with his birth, his life, his death, and then his coronation, which we call the ascension. He inaugurates, he initiates... The fulfillment of this prophecy, that death does not have the last word anymore, that sin no longer is going to reign. But it continues at Pentecost. What happens at Pentecost? God's spirit is poured out on the church. Who's present at Pentecost? Think about this. We just read in Micah 4 that all the nations are going to do what's opposite of what happens in mountains. In mountains, there's snow and water flows from the mountain. Micah's using this imagery of saying that there are going to be streams of people from all nations flowing to the mountain. Supernatural, right? Water to flow uphill. Listen, if there was a theme verse for what happened at Pentecost in the book of Acts, maybe it'd be Micah 4, 1 to 2. Luke records it this way, that Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia... Pontius and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and the proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. That's who was there at Pentecost. Isn't that amazing? God initiates this fulfillment of a time of peace when nations are going to lay down their swords and begin to teach the word of the Lord right at Pentecost. Church, when the Spirit of God was poured out on the church of God, He is continuing the prophecy being fulfilled in Micah 4. What's powerful is that work is still going on through each one of us. So God restores his people 
from pain. That's a future thing. Here's the second part. God restores through our pain. God restores through our pain. He's still looking to the future. Verse 6 says, in that day. So we're still talking about some future day. Do you hear that? He says, in latter days, in future times, this is going to happen. In verse 6, he says, in that day. Micah promises the good that will come from the bad on the other side of pain. Look at verse 6 with me. See it for yourself. I'll give you time to find it. Micah 4, 6. Let your eyes fall on it. In that day declares the Lord. You can take this to the bank. I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. Do you hear the three categories? Lame, those cast out, and those afflicted. Verse 7, and the lame I will make a remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Do you hear it? Church Micah is saying this, that good is coming from the bad. Hang in there. It's not yet. Pain is the pathway, and there evidently are no shortcuts. The lame, the driven away, the afflicted, all describing the truth that God is not going to skip the pain in the restoration process. Oh, we wish he would. We're all looking for shortcuts. Man, I want the character without all the hardship that, that, that produces character. We're all looking for shortcuts. God says it's not there. Remember, Micah has named the sins. What are the sins of Israel and Judah? Idolatry. That was common across the whole land. Corruption, oppression, injustice. And he's about to promise that foreign kingdoms are going to be used by God as a divine spanking, a divine discipline on his people. He's talking about a good time. Good is coming from the pain, but he doesn't say, oh, and good news, God's going to skip the punishment. No. We're going to get to this next chapter where Babylon in this chapter and Assyria next chapter are going to come in. What happens historically, we already know. The people of God are driven from their land. By who? Babylon and Assyria. Two attacking armies. Predicted ahead of time by Micah. Catch this. In love, God does not withhold the consequences of sin. God allows some pain to avoid eternal pain later. Parents, does this not sound like parenthood? Grandparents, isn't this what you're trying to instill in the next generation? Man, if I keep withholding pain, if I keep evacuating my child out of difficult situations, I am not preparing him or her for how the world works. It's an unloving thing to do. God restores through pain. Just jot down Hebrews 12, 11. It's in your CG questions, but jot it down if you're taking notes. Hebrews 12, 11 talks about looking through our discipline to the good that comes from it. It says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Here's a hint. Kids, that's true of you and the parents. Here's a hint, children of God. That's true for you kids and the parents. No, ple- no discipline is pleasant in the moment. 
It's painful. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Parents or aspiring parents, hear me. Seek to have your kids say that you're the greatest parents in the world when they're 35, not when they're 13. If you seek to have your parents say, you're the greatest, coolest parents in the world when they're 13, you're probably not. You're probably letting them get away with murder. You're probably developing spoiled children. Knock it off. Have a long view in this. My mom is sitting in the church today. Mom, thank you. You're a great parent. I just turned 50. She's like, what? My baby. She parented for the long haul. At 13, did I think you were the best mom in the world? Absolutely not. (laughs) Praise God if your kids, for the right reasons, think you're the worst parent in the world today. There's some real good in that. Hold on. It's going to produce an amazing fruit of righteousness to those who stick with it. Parents, aim to be the best parents when they're 35, not 13. We get this from God. God gives us what we need, not what we want. Why? Because he loves us. That's why. Idolatry, dishonesty, perversion, apathy, the misuse of power, these plague us. And like Micah's message, I'm not talking about out there. I'm talking about in the church. Of course, pagans are going to act like godless pagans. People don't know any better. Such were all of us. We would have no concept of gender and marriage apart from God. We'd have no concept of training our children in righteousness in the way that we ought were it not from God. Those who know better in Micah's day are the people of God who are breaking covenant. Those who know better, church, are those with the spirit of God and the word of God and aren't living out what's there. Will God be patient forever with comfortable, complacent Christians? I don't think so. I think in love, he's going to act. Are we living like our Savior Are we walking like Jesus and looking to love the least of these? You want to know simply what a disciple does? Go live like Jesus and seek, pour your life into loving the least of these. Hear and do what Jesus says. All right, from looking sort of way ahead of time to all all the good that's going to come on the other side of discipline... Freed from pain, he's now going to look back to how pain shapes us. He's moving to the very immediate, okay? Uh, This is verse 9, and here's the third point. God restores in our pain. Here's the metaphor he uses, labor pains. How easily accessible are labor pains to describe good that comes from pain. Okay, so watch for it. Verse 9. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? 
that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon, that's their enemy. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Church, I want you to know I went through the pain of childbirth several times up to this point in my life. It's awful. The screaming, the moisture, the unknown, the agony of it. Becky had a hard time too, but it's difficult, people. You know why I endured? I was a champ. You know why I endured? I knew the joy that was coming on the other side. I have my wife's permission for this story. My wife told me from the time she was in junior high, I want 10 kids, I want different colored faces looking back at me. Pray for Hume Lake this week, you guys, next week. God speaks to young people. My life has changed for the immeasurable good because my wife walked in the path that God laid out for her in junior high. So remember, I know this woman wants 10 children. We have our firstborn son. She had some complications. There was difficulty. There was pain. Of course, there was pain. (laughs) She looks at me, she's squeezing my hand with superhuman strength. I'm trying not to cry because that would seem very unmanly and unhelpful at her superhuman strength. And she looks me square in the eye from a few feet away in a hospital bed at Good Samaritan Hospital. She says, I am never doing this again. Now, being the logical, helpful person I was, I reminded her, No, 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 no. Nine more times. (laughs) No, I did not do that. Even as a young fool, I was wiser than that. You know what I said? Yes, dear. Yes, dear is the thing you say in that moment. Not because I wanted to support here. I just valued my life. Yes, dear. One is enough. Moments later, My firstborn son was pulled out. They handed me scissors to cut something. I cut the right thing. Woo! They put this little newborn son right here in my wife's arm. She looks at me. Moments after she's holding my oldest son, Curran, she says, I want nine more. What did I say? Yes, dear. (laughs) There is immense pain that roughly half of our population will willingly enter into and endure. Why? Because there's new life waiting on the other end of pain. Man, I could have preached a whole sermon on this one idea. The way that childbirth and the pain that caused it from Genesis all the way through to new life is a little tiny picture in microcosm of what God is doing in the big picture. My wife would know the stats on how many hours she was in labor, but we would look on all of that and say, was it worth it? Of course. Even in the midst of it, is it worth it? Absolutely. 
joyfully. Why? Because there's new life awaiting from it. We know that pain is not eternal. We know that God is restoring. God is growing right in the very midst of our pain. Oh, that we would be like Job and would accept pain from Almighty God and not just the ease. I don't know how he did it apart from the Spirit of God. But he saw clear enough to accept both. Do you see that rescue and redemption are coming in unlikely ways and in unlikely places? God evidently needed his people to have a shakeup, a massive shakeup, exile, driven from your home. When it says you're about to leave your city and go to the countryside, we're going camping next week. It's not camping. If you are out of the city, you are insecure, you have no sustainability at life. That is a terrifying place to be. Exile was needed to get the attention, to wake up his people. Pain has a way of doing that, doesn't it? God whispers to us in our ease. God shouts at us through our pain. Roughly translated, someone said that once. I don't know who. Can't give them a quote. Where are they rescued and where do they find redemption? Look at it in your Bible. It's verse 10. Babylon. God redeems and rescues in unlikely ways and also in unlikely places. He rescued in the place of their captivity. He redeemed them right in the midst of their shame. It's to their great shame that they had to leave their homes. And in a shame-honor culture like the Middle East, that's actually worse than the banishment, worse than the punishment, worse than starvation. God rescued in the place of captivity. He redeemed in the place of brokenness and shame. Church, can we learn from past brothers and sisters' pain and mistakes of what God is like, of what he's up to? This is good news. Consider this, that that, that place of pain and shame, the deepest, darkest place of pain and shame that you never want to revisit, you certainly don't want anyone in the world to ever know about it. Could it be that that very place of captivity, of shame, is where God is going to do his best rescue, the most redemption in your own life? If it took an exile as divine punishment from God to say, wake up, you're breaking covenant. How do we ponder today's current events? A worldwide health crisis? Are you kidding me? None of us have seen anything like this before. Abuse and division amongst all levels of power, amongst all the races in our nation, ongoing political turmoil, People that vote for the lesser of two evils. Leaders that they say, gosh, I I can't vote for that person. I certainly can't vote for that person. Upheaval in jobs and living situations and relationships and health and all manner of normal. Like a blanket just going boom and snapping it. All the pieces off off the board. Here's my question to you. Are you seeing current events through an earthly lens or through a heavenly lens? 
Are you sitting and looking around and just listening to world's talking heads argue and debate and discuss the way out? By the way, what's the fruit of that? How have they been doing? Fruit of the Spirit is what? Love? What else? Joy? What else? Peace. Love, joy, and peace have been replaced with suspicion, anger, accusation, and a whole lot of anxiety. If you were to look at history without God in the picture, you would say there were some Jewish people who lived here. They divided into two kingdoms, and there were these attacking armies that were just bigger and stronger and drove them out. That's, being, that's not understanding what God is doing. If you listen to the prophets, God came and said, here's what's going to happen. Here's what I'm doing. It's always a little bit cloudy at first, but can't we look back on history and go, man, that's exactly what happened. And was there, was there restoration? Yeah. To the people, to the land, to the place. God keeps his promises. Let me just have you listen to the message translation of verses 11 through 13. Maybe close your eyes because there's nothing to look at up here. Just close your eyes and listen to this for a second. It says, but for right now, they're ganged up against you. Many godless people saying, kick her when she's down. Violate her. We want to see Zion grovel in the dirt. These blasphemers have no idea what God is thinking and doing in this. They don't know that this is the making of God's people, that they are wheat being threshed, gold being refined. On your feet, daughter of Zion, be threshed of chaff, be refined of dross. I'm remaking you into a people invincible, into God's juggernaut to crush the godless peoples. You'll bring their plunders as holy offerings to God, their wealth to the master of the earth. That's how Eugene Peterson sort of sums up this little picture. Childbirth, the threshing of wheat, the refining of gold. How do you do that? You turn up the heat and all the dross comes to the top. All of these make it really, really clear. They all reinforce this point. God is restoring in our pain. It's different for you than it is for you. It's different for you than it is for me. Pain's universal, but it's also personal. God's restoring right in the very midst of it. So where is God in your pain? Have you asked that lately? God, where are you in this mess that our nation is in? He's right here. That's where. He's right in the midst of it. The cross of Jesus Christ is the massive exclamation point on this understanding. The very moment at which Satan and his minions thought they had achieved certain victory was anything but. Jesus came to experience exile. He came to be thrashed. If there's anyone you could say had the heat turned up, it's Jesus Christ. All so that we can be restored. This is why we can claim the truth of Romans 5, which no other worldview, 
has to make sense of pain. Here it is. But we, church, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Romans 5, 3 through 4. You ought to meditate on that verse this week. Church, we rejoice because of what we know. God is in our midst. He hasn't abandoned or forsaken us. He is on his throne and he's up to something good. In strange places, in ways we would never dream good could come of it. God restores and he does so not in spite of our pain, but in and through our pain. I made this title slide just a busy, jumbled mess of uneasiness. It's a tiny little sliver of our last year or so. I hope it's evocative to you. I hope it stirs up some things in you. As we look at that church, remember this. It's not in spite of our pain that God can do something. It's in the midst of our pain that God can do something. Who models this most clearly? The beloved Son of God. Just Jesus. He's the one who's the the pinnacle of this truth. The one who pleased the Father perfectly did not avoid suffering. Church, that's good news for us. Not even Jesus the one most used by God in all the world for his plan. In fact, I would say, especially not Jesus. Jesus goes before us in all things. He models how to handle and rejoice in the midst of suffering. He was crushed for our wholeness. Jesus was cast away so that you and I could be brought near. The sinless was made sin so that sinners could be free of sin. Who was made lame and exiled, driven away? Jesus was, for our sake. No one avoids suffering. Now here's the million dollar question. Who crushed him? Who cast him out? Who killed Jesus? Was it sinners, pagans? Jealous Jewish leaders, godless, gullible mobs that just kind of went with the flow? Sort of. But ultimately, who killed Jesus? It was God the Father. God the Father did it. In Isaiah 53, 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He goes on to answer this in verse 10. He says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Micah is showing us all the good and glory that's coming from our pain and suffering. It's a massive encouragement, church, to those of us going through pain and suffering that God is in the midst of it. 
We're going to move into a time of communion right now. And I want to just read some verses. I celebrate that we get to read these verses on the other side of the cross. These verses give us immense hope. If you did not get your little uh, cup, uh, go ahead and raise your hand and Les will kind of get it to you. Uh, Otherwise, we'll be taking it in just a moment. Band, come on up. Jesus is making all things new and he's using pain to accomplish it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 2, 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. Catch this. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of God, of of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's the hopeless state of sinners that we're born into. One of the great but gods is found in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Church, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, right now as we sit before your throne, I pray we would envision the realities that have gone on. For those of us who have placed our complete trust in the saving, finished work of Jesus Christ, That just now as we take the bread, as we drink the cup, we do what you told us to do, to remember you, to think on you, to put this in front of our brain. God, for those who want to avoid hurt and pain, they're avoiding the glorious good news. Good news makes no sense if you don't know how trapped and wicked you are. God, for those tempted right now to wallow in their pain, they are tools of Satan. They are are staying in the place of being wretched like the rest of mankind. No hope, no future, no change, no restoration. God, would you lift them out of that? You've declared things to us. You tell us these things for our good. These things in the Old Testament have been written down so we can learn from it, so we can glean from it. God, let it be like a a person cheering us on in the midst of our pain. God, let the cross and resurrection this morning give us the clarity to rejoice in the midst of our sufferings because we know what you do in and through our pain.